Well, tonight we've read a lot of the significant scriptures related to Jesus and his birth. And, and one of the, the things I was going to do is try and connect somehow the Lord's Supper with, with the birth of Christ. If you were here yesterday or the day before yesterday, whenever it was, yeah, yesterday, Sunday, I'm still a little bit spacey, but trying to get over a cold. Justin preached on a text from Luke chapter 1. Let me just read it for you. You just got through reading it as a group. Verse 31 of Luke 1 says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And what I was thinking about is the Lord's Supper. Let me just read to you uh, a section of Luke 22, Luke's account of the Lord's Supper. And then I'll make a connection, and I want to trace that connection through the scriptures. In Luke 22, verse 14 We read, and when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, this He said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Now, what's interesting is in Luke's account, there is twice mentioned the kingdom of God. In Matthew, it calls it the kingdom of heaven. The reason is that Matthew, writing to Jews, uh, Jews didn't like to say the name God. Even today, they will say the name or they will take Yahweh and substitute Adonai for it out of reverence. And so in Matthew, you don't see the kingdom of God, you see the kingdom of heaven. But Luke, writing to Gentiles, writes the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I will not take, partake of what we're going to partake of in a little bit here until I do it with you anew in my kingdom. That is great. And when I begin to think of that, and I begin to think of what we learned from Luke chapter 1, just this last Sunday, that Jesus would be the Son of God and the Son of Man. He would be the Savior and the King. I begin to think of what Mary thought when the angel appeared to her and told her that she was going to conceive without interacting with a man, that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and overshadow her, and she would bring forth a child who would be the very son of the Most High God, and that he would have a kingdom that would have no end, and he would rule over the house of Jacob forever. Now, to us, 
because we might not know the Old Testament as well as the Jews, those would be significant things. But for a Jew who would study the Old Testament diligently, and especially a Jew who was awaiting the Messiah's coming, those texts in the Old Testament which, which prophesied the, the Messiah's coming were very cherished, and especially since the Roman oppression. For so long, the Jews had been oppressed by Gentiles, and they were longing, they were aching for the Messiah to come. And those, those verses about the Messiah's coming were just cherished to them. And what I would like to do is just read some of those verses and make some brief comments. And then we're going to partake of communion tonight. And we'll give you some instructions on that. We're going to kind of do it family style. We already looked at one text, and I don't know if any of you have your Bibles. I'll just read. You can just listen if you want. In Genesis 3.15, which we uh, Justin already read, I wanted to just point out something. This is when God is dealing out the curses. He's speaking to the serpent, and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and you shall bruise him and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. The comment I want to make about that is, this is the only place in the Bible where a woman is ever said to have a seed. That is something that males have, not something that females ever have. But here, this very strange verse in the first prophecy of the Bible The first place in the Bible where any prediction is made, it's made about a woman and her seed. Very, very different, very strange, and surely something that would have made the Jewish rabbis just wonder about. What what is this woman's seed? Well, later on in Genesis 22, after the story where Isaac... Of course, Abraham's only son, his beloved son, the son of promise, is almost offered up as a sacrifice. And then God steps in, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, steps in, and he gives a substitute for Isaac so that Isaac is spared, a picture of Christ. And this is what we read in Genesis 22:18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And what's neat is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says that when he said seed there, he wasn't referring to many, but to one, and that is Christ. That was just a glimpse, not only the whole episode, but this very promise that there was going to be a single man in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Later on in Genesis 49, as Justin already mentioned, there was this promise of a Messiah, that the scepter would not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from that tribe. Forever the ruler would come from Judah. And so they knew that Judah was the tribe. If there was going to be a Messiah who was going to come from Judah, 
Later on in 1 Chronicles 17, let me read this to you. This is actually appears twice. It appears in 2 Samuel 7 and also 1 Chronicles 17. Nathan comes and tells David that he can build the temple, and then later God says, Nathan, don't you think you should have checked with me first? And um, he said, go back and I want you to tell David this. And this is what Nathan told David after he checked in with God. In verse 11, when your days are fulfilled and you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up one of your descendants, literally seed, after you who will be of your sons and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son and I will not take my loving kindness away from him as I took it away from him who was before you, speaking of Saul. But I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever. And so they knew Messiah was coming. They knew he was going to be from Judah, from the descendants of David, and that he would have a kingdom that would never end. Not only that, in Psalm chapter 2, we have one of the great messianic psalms where the psalmist explains some of this son that was to come. And this is what the psalmist says in verse 7 and following. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. What is interesting in that passage, the Lord Yahweh, the caps of uh, the I am name that was the memorial name given by God to Moses in Exodus 3, is used interchangeably with the Son. And just as the Lord is to be worshipped, so the Son is also to be worshipped because the Son is the Lord. We see this as we go on further. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah prophesies of this child who would come. And we know this verse, it's one of the two Christmas texts of Isaiah. We already read Isaiah 7.14, but in Isaiah 9.6 we read this, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Later on, in just 
two chapters later in chapter 11, we read of this child. Here he is called the shoot. He is also called a branch, as we'll see in a minute. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the Lord his God. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decision by what his ears hear. With both righteousness he will judge the poor, and will decide with fairness for the afflicted of earth. And he will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt around his loins, and faithfulness the belt around his waist. And then he speaks of his kingdom when he says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. And a nursing child will play by the hole of of a cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. And they will not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. What great promises. What great promises. Later on in chapter 42 of Isaiah, we read some more about this coming king. Here he is called the servant. There are several what they call servant songs in Isaiah, and this is just part of one of them. Isaiah 42.1 says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faintly bring forth justice. For faithfully bring forth justice, and he will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice on earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Thus says the Lord God, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offsprings, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit of those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things before they spring forth. I proclaim them to you. And God just says, just clearly, there is going to be a man who is going to come from me. And he is going to rule with righteousness and justice over the entire earth forever and ever. And this is what the Jews were looking for. This is what Mary was looking for. This is what Joseph was looking for. This is what every Jew who knew the scriptures longed for. They loathed the oppression of the Gentiles. Jeremiah also speaks of this one in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Here he is called the branch. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. 
And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And his name, which he will be called, is the Lord our righteousness. Then we have the prophet Daniel. Do you ever wonder where the Magi got their information? The Magi were kingmakers from Persia. Very well educated, very smart individuals who came from Persia. Persia was the kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire, was the kingdom that conquered Babylon. The whole episode of Daniel in the lion's den happened as Persian rule was taking place. And it makes you wonder, where in the world did those magi get the information to know that when they saw this star, they were to do something? Who told them that star was the star of the Messiah? Almost surely it was Daniel. And this is what Daniel wrote in Daniel 2, 44 and 45. In the days of those kings, he's interpreting the, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had with the head of gold and the chest and silver of bronze and the belly and thighs of, of brass and the legs of iron and the feet mixed of iron and clay. He says, In those days the Lord God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all the kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. So even in the time of Daniel, it was still being prophesied that this person would come, put an end to all kingdoms, and he would reign forever. Later in Daniel 7, Daniel has another vision, another dream. And in this dream, there are these beasts. And the Ancient of Days comes to his throne. And this is what Daniel writes in verses 13 and 14 of Daniel 7. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Constant themes, a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, the only kingdom with a perfectly righteous and holy king. Even into the minor prophets, Micah prophesies of the Christ who was to come. And Micah is interesting because what he says about Christ is some of the same stuff that all the other guys said about him, that he would be this same um, ruler who would come and he would set up this kingdom. But what Micah emphasizes is the location One of the little jokes my wife and I have is, you know, when I say we ought to go to Jerusalem, and she says, well, if we never get there in this life, we'll be living there in the next. 
This is what Micah says in Micah 4, 1 through 7. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the people will stream to it and many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he will judge peoples between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine, under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And one of the last writers of the Old Testament, Zechariah. Zechariah and Haggai were used by God to get the temple rebuilt after it was destroyed and the people came back from the captivity. And in every chapter of Zechariah, all 14 chapters, there are prophecies of the Messiah. And Zechariah writes because he wants to encourage them that even though they're going through hard times and trials and struggles, there is going to be a Messiah that is going to come. And this is how he describes the Messiah. Starting in 14.1, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city will be captured and the houses plundered and women ravished and half the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth. And fight against those nations as when he fights in the day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand in the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the mountain of Olives will be split in its middle from the east to the west by a very large valley. So that half of the mountain will move towards the north and the other half towards the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountains. For the valley of the mountains will reach to Azale, yes, You will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. In that day there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle and it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea and the other half towards the western sea. It will be summer as well as winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name will be the only one. Now, those are just a few of the major prophecies. And when I think about Mary... And here she is. I mean, she's longing for the Messiah. She was righteous. Her husband was righteous, the text says. And they're waiting for the Messiah. But what they didn't understand, the Jews thought that all of these prophecies about the Messiah would all happen at one time. What they didn't understand is there was going to be a first coming and then a second coming. 
There was going to be a baby born in humility to grow up to die for the sins of men. And then he would come back in glory to rescue the afflicted, the needy, and those who would wait for him. And so when we come tonight to the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about this. We read this story of Herod and the Magi. Think about this. Both said they wanted to worship Christ, didn't they? Both sought Christ, didn't they? Both seemed to want to worship him, didn't they? But from Herod, we learn that some men give lip service to Christ, but they will not give their heart. Those who claim to be true worshipers of Christ are often haters of him, for they profess to know him, but with their deeds they deny him. We also learn from Herod that some men may profess allegiance to Christ, but will go to great lengths to try and undo what God is trying to do. We also learn from Herod that there are enemies of the cross that will pretend to be something they are not for a time in order to try and gain an advantage. We also learn from Herod that Jesus' statement was true when he said, you will know them by their fruit. And finally, we learn from Herod that those who are not living for God now fear his coming. Those who are not living for God now fear his coming, and they should. For when he comes back, there will be no more getting right. It will be over. And that is why when the Magi came and they said, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Matthew says, Herod trembled. He feared because he wasn't living for God. But for the Magi, what do we learn? The Magi teach us that Christ is so great and so precious that great sacrifice should be easily given in order to worship him. They came from hundreds, hundreds of miles away. And they came through the desert. And the text says that when they came, they fell down and worshiped him. The Greek text literally says they laid flat on their faces. And this teaches us another thing, that the true worshiper not only bows his knees, but he bows his heart. When he comes to worship the king, he doesn't just do it on the outside. He does it on the inside too. We learn from the Magi that God's greatest blessings 
sometimes come to us in the most unexpected ways. A baby of poor parents in a poor place with no recognition. We learn from the Magi the importance of trusting the promises of God. That there will be a time in the future when Christ is going to come back and all those who are living for him now will partake of the Lord's Supper with him in the future. And so when we come and we have the celebration of Christmas, we shouldn't be really celebrating his birth. That was his first coming, for he's not a baby anymore. He grew up. He died on the cross for our sins. He ascended into heaven. He is now at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. And someday soon, the scriptures say any day, like a thief in the night, he could come back for all those who wait anxiously for his coming. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take some time. Since Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that a man must examine himself before partaking of the Lord's Supper, lest he eat and drink judgment to himself. We're going to have a time of just silent prayer. I'm going to close us. And then when I close us in prayer, you're all free to come up here. Do not trample each other. And you can just take a little piece of bread and dip it in one of those bowls, and we're just going to do it buffet style. (laughs) So let's pray. Father, we come before you, a group of needy sinners. We need you, Father. We need you so desperately. And Father, we come before you tonight just with hearts of awe. For thousands of years, you predicted what would happen at that first coming. And for thousands of years, you have predicted what would happen at the second coming. History has borne forth the first coming and the righteous branch, the shoot, has arisen from Jesse. The child was born. His name was Emmanuel, the woman's seed. The seed in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The son to be born, to be worshipped, to pay homage to. Father, that precious child has come and gone. But now he is in heaven grown, the very exalted God of gods and King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, we confess our sins before you right now. We know you know our hearts and we ask you to search us and try us and to see if there be any wicked way in us. Father, please forgive us if this Christmas season has distracted us, if our running around and our shopping and our presents and our trees and our lights and anything has taken your place, Father, we know that those are all things 
you have given us freely to enjoy, but not at the expense of worshiping you. So now, Father, as we prepare to come and celebrate your body broken for us and your blood shed for us, may we remember that someday soon in the future you will come back for us and you will take us to be where you are at. And Father, we will partake of this very same thing in your presence as we see you face to face and understand you as you really are. We thank you for that and we offer you praise and adoration for we know you alone are worthy. Amen.